Hey everyone, welcome to episode 147 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello. And this week we're going to talk about the death of Mario. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about Sinner, Sacrifice for Redemption. Uh, and a little bit about the Hori split pad, because I recently picked one of those up in a sale. Uh, and then we're going to get on and talk about Monster Hunter Rise, which is all anyone will want to hear about this week. Anyway, so with that, let's get on with the latest Switch news. Okay, the uh, deadline has passed and Nintendo has taken Mario out into the backyard and uh, hit him with the double barrels. So all the Mario games that were released uh, last year are now no longer for sale. Also true for the... Uh, Fire Emblem uh, re-released of the original NES game. That's already gone. I haven't really played that since opening weekend. Uh, either of you two? No. <laughs> <laughs> Was that Mario 35? Yeah. I played it because they're doing an event where they give you 350 platinum points, which are actually valuable mm-hmm. now because we've got that Nintendo store in Australia. Mm-hmm. I did one round and died, and that's it. And Fire Emblem, you kept up with that at all? Nope. <laughs> Rip Mario. Hopefully uh, Nintendo can... No, I'm not doing this bit anymore. Um, we can just reiterate what a stupid policy this was. Um, I don't know what benefit this is. Uh, I guess wanting people to buy it out of FOMO, just in case it no longer... You know, that sense that it'll no longer exist, but... Really dumb strategy. It's straight up FOMO. Their fiscal year also ends on the 31st, so it was also totally a profit thing, so they could have mm-hmm. a a good last quarter. <laughs> yeah. That was the thing. Uh, so with that, let's uh, move on to the things we've been playing. We care a lot. Okay, we're going to make you wait for the Monster Hunter Rise talk. Uh, So, first of all, I played a game called Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption. Uh, Surprise, surprise, this was a Souls-like, but with a twist. So the elevator pitch is that it is Dark Souls, but without any of the exploration or RPG elements. It's basically a Souls boss rush. What? Yeah, so you just fight through a load of Souls-style bosses. That's just a boss rush. I mean, Dark Souls without yeah. exploration or RPG elements, that that is Dark Souls. I just, I don't even understand <laughs> that elevator pitch. Hey, Dark Souls has a bunch of stuff to do between the bosses. So in this, you play as a wanderer, a knight called Adam, who must fight seven creatures that are based on the seven deadly sins. So you get to pick which order you fight these bosses in. Uh, there's like a, a nexus uh, style cliff. Uh, the nexus is from Demon Souls uh, that has huge mark stones that represents each boss and you can tackle any of the first seven bosses in order then you get to fight one other. The conceit of this game though is when you fight a boss you have to give it a sacrifice before you can fight it uh, and that sacrifice fits the theme of its uh, sin. So for example the the boss for Gluttony who is called uh, Cambaloose will remove two of your health potions and reduce the speed at which you get healed. Uh, Another can remove your passive healing. Another will stop you dead for a few seconds if you run out of stamina. 
Uh, another will make your shield shatter if uh, an enemy breaks your defense. And then when you beat the boss, these are permanent reductions. So you basically get punished for being successful and beating the bosses. Now, uh, one thing I do like about these sacrifices, though, is when you actually uh, beat the boss, that sacrifice becomes visibly represented on your your character model. So when you lose the uh, the level of armor, your character loses their chest plate. When when the shield penalty comes in, it's like clearly broken and on on the verge of uh, splintering. Yeah. So if you fail to beat a boss and you want to uh, go try another one, you can actually. Uh, reclaim the sacrifice that you made and then come back to them later and then the the end boss is basically you fight a character that has all the things that you've given up kind of a spoiler i guess but i think it's kind of obvious with the way the game goes so the the meta game for sinner is to try and figure out the ideal order of the bosses that works for you and your playstyle. Uh, so the bosses themselves uh, while each is based on the seven deadly sins each one is also obviously uh, loosely based on a Dark Souls boss, um, some of the most popular ones, but each has their own twist and patterns. It's not like a one-to-one replication, but you can see where their starting inspirations come from, especially visually. Uh, so for example, Rhodes uh, is basically the Tower Knight from Demon Souls. You've got Yordo, who's an expanded idea on the Phalanx from uh, Demon Souls. There's a Bloodborne-style fight uh, against a, a character called Chanel, and there's like a big fire demon who's kind of a mixture of the ceaseless discharge from Dark Souls One and the old Iron King from Dark Souls Two. It's it's all really clear if you're if you're a fan of that series. Ceaseless discharge. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you know the fights are loosely based on Dark Souls. A large part of this game is the difficulty, which I, I mean I think. Uh, both me and Andrew agreed previously that's kind of overstated. The biggest challenge is more about understanding the bosses and mm-hmm. learning their tells and how to deal with them. Even just learning mechanics. Like when I played Bloodborne after playing Dark Souls, like I knew how everything worked statistically, and I found Bloodborne actually, I criticized it for being easy. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I think it's easier. It certainly uh, rewards you more for keeping the pressure up. So, like, mm. if, if you're that sort of person that's going to go in and wail on the button because you can't help it, that will actually reward you a li- for a little bit in Bloodborne. <laughs> so the balancing here is, well, I think five of the bosses are really well balanced and that you could probably do them no matter what sacrifices you're carrying. Uh, there are two in particular that I, th- I think you're meant to tackle first because they are... Uh, incredibly difficult, and I don't think I would have beaten them without max health potions or my full armor. Uh, so they they pretty much push your soul's reflexes to their limits, uh, and then just as you're at the point where you're like, yes, I've got it, then they take it a step too far. One of those bosses in particular was a major problem for me. Uh, that was uh, Levin Undock, who is uh, based on Envy. She switches between two forms, one's gold, one's silver. Both have their own health bar, one has physical attacks, the other has lightning magic that cannot be blocked, only dodged. Uh, and the tells for the light, lightning magic um, were exactly the same, meaning you could never tell which one was coming. Uh, one was slightly easier to dodge, the other was not, because it was completely randomised. Uh, and that element of knowing what was coming was very important. So I was getting the hang of it, and then it hits me with both forms at the same time when you get them down to a certain level. 
Uh, so trying to avoid the lightning uh, while trying to whittle down either of their health while one's just constantly running at you with physical attacks was just incredibly difficult. In the end, I think I hit a lucky run where I was able to get one form's health down more than usual before I had to deal with both, and then I was able to sort of manage my way around it. Had I not done that fight second and saved it towards the end, I'm not sure I would have beaten the game. That's how hard that one is. The others though are fine. It, it basically, you know, you learn the patterns, you know how to deal with things, you learn how to dodge, and I always get that thing, a sensation I love in Dark Souls, where, like, you walk in, you get walloped, and then as you work at it, you start to pick up the subtleties, and then there's that shift of like you're still getting beaten, but you can you can feel the shift towards you slowly getting control of it. For five of those bosses, they nail that absolutely perfectly. Uh, just these other two are just a little bit unbalanced. Yeah, so while I've described it as a Souls-like that punishes you for winning and makes things harder, which it does, uh, and the reviews all reflect that, it's not entirely true because each time you beat a boss it will grant you more max health, which then overrides any of the uh, health sacrifices you make in the long run, other than the the speed of recovery and things like that. So you, you do get some benefits from winning, it's not all just a, you know an oppressive punishment for, for doing well. So the taking on Souls series as a boss rush is an interesting idea, and few other devs have done it. Although you know boss boss rush games exist, that's that's a fact. And like some of Souls' best fights, some of these are very tense and fun to figure out. And when you start getting to that point where they're they're responding to attacks and patterns is second nature, like there are fewer rewarding feelings than that in video games altogether. Uh, I still think it could learn a, a couple of things about balance. And whether you enjoy the game will largely depend on what it is you like about Dark Souls. If you like exploration, if you like going through the tight corridors with the you know tough moment-to-moment battles, you can probably skip it because there's literally none of that in this. If the boss fights are the thing you love and you like the, the whole punishment angle and being beaten down and overcoming that obstacle, then you'll probably get a kick out of this one. Uh, out of all those Souls-likes that I've played over the past couple of months, this is the one that gets the feel of the boss fights the most right. But just in those couple of cases, it takes things a little step too far and that's a, that's to its detriment. Tori, I've never figured out if you're a Souls player or not. Weirdly enough, I think Doom Eternal has kind of turned me onto the series. I know that's mm. I know that's a weird <laughs> angle, but the idea of dying being a part of the process and it being really hard and giving the player one more thing than they can handle at any given time helps you grow as a player and the frustration is part of the engagement rather than something to turn you off the game. Mm-hmm. All of those elements are in Doom Eternal, and my friend and I have been playing on and off Dark Souls 3. And, oh, yeah. And it's finally clicked. I, I get it oh, now. Nice. I'm a newbie Souls-like player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the good thing with like the Dark Souls series, though, is if you're failing, you can always go off and grind some souls and you know level some stats up or you know upgrade your weapons, and like that's not an option in this one. <laughs> You just have to lump it. So uh, moving on, uh, I picked up the Hori split pad on a decent sale this week. Andrew, you've got the flip grip and you've got the uh, clip so you can play with a switch on a pro controller. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, the fixture S1. That's it. I was having doubts as to whether you had these or not. 
um, but I don't think you do. I've looked at them, but you know, I was a kid in the '90s, so I I automatically look at any third-party controllers with suspicion, and mm-hmm. I just haven't gotten around to spending the money on these yet. Although they they seem like a quality product, but you you can give us your first-hand experience with those now. They uh, uh, actually, Tori, have you played with these at all? No, but I'm very interested to see what you have to say. Part of the reason I actually looked at them at all was because I I found out they were doing some Monster Hunter themed ones, which are coming out in a couple of months. And then when I was looking at those, I noticed that the the standard ones were on sale. They actually came in a bundle with a Daemon X Machina as well, I think, which is when they first hit the market. So the controls themselves, uh, they slot onto the side of the Switch, much much like your Joy-Cons. The build quality seems very good, although initially I thought they they felt a bit cheapy, like low quality, but there's a reason for that. And that reasoning is basically down to what it doesn't do. You can't charge these, you can't play them play with them detached from the console, they have no rumble, there's no gyro, there's no NFC connectivity with them. So basically there's nothing in there except the cables for the buttons uh, and the sticks too used to modern controllers having heaps of teching them. Yeah, so the lightness initially gave me that feeling of like these might be a bit cheap and nasty. But the result has been I'm pretty happy with them on the whole. So you when you slot them on, I have a thing with the standard Joy-Cons where there's always like a slight wobble on the console and I always worry that they're going to snap off at some point. So I was worried about with these being a little bit chunkier how that would go. It's got like a like a backing that sits on the back of the switch, so you can't accidentally like, you know, snap anything. Sort of takes a bit of the the load bearing of the console, which is pretty pretty neat. They do, however, make the switch impossibly wide. When I first put them on, it was it's like the length of my keyboard, uh, is how big they are, or how big it makes the whole form factor. So it's not oh. something you would take around with you portably. It's more like if you want to play in bed or in another room, this is a way to give yourself a more like pro controller experience. Ergonomic. Yeah, ergonomics. That said, they don't feel as much like a proper controller as I've seen others have uh, claimed on the internet. The grips are like pretty shallow uh, compared to you know like the pro controller, for example. So I, I never had any problems playing any game portably with the Joy-Cons. This was more of a, these are cheap, so I'll get them as a curiosity thing. I, you know, I played through Doom, I played through Wolfenstein 2 with the Joy-Cons, and they were fine. It just takes a little bit of time to adjust to how loose the sticks are. So when, you know, you see reviews of, uh, well, just Apex Legends the other day, like a lot of that was, oh, the Joy-Cons aren't fit for purpose for this game. And it's like, mm, are you just used to playing it on another format and you did this for 10 seconds and decided it wasn't good enough? This definitely helps you get around that. The joysticks, uh, the analog sticks are definitely uh, a bit stiffer than those on the Joy-Cons. Uh, you know, there is that. So if people are finding the Joy-Con sticks a little loose, this would be a good option. That said... My next point was, I did find I had a better time with Apex Legends and handheld with these than I did with the Joy-Cons. It just felt uh, instantly more familiar and made switching between docked and handheld a little easier. Uh, so I didn't have that little, you know, like moment of trying to readjust to the Joy-Cons. One of the things, because they're quite big and bulky, you can't actually dock it with the controllers on. 
so that was interesting uh the the clip at the back was uh a bit of a pain yeah so that's about it really uh i like it i think i will use it for for first person shooters um in particular uh i did also get it with a mind for monster hunter we're going to talk about the complexity of the controls and i felt having a fatter style controller might work a little better for that game and indeed i tried monster hunter on it most of yesterday afternoon and yeah it was pretty good i i it was a smooth transition from Doctor Handheld with no problems. I recommend if you can get them at a good price. Uh, I too was put off because you know they weren't official controllers. They do a job. You've just got to be prepared to lose out on all the other things that the Joy Cons do do. Like you, you can't play Mario Party with these. <laughs> yeah, well, Hori are um, the next best thing to first party generally in terms of build mm-hmm. quality. Uh, I have one question regarding the gyro. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do it. So the controllers don't, but the system does. Ooh. So I'm sure it'll be like a case by case basis, but I, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, that's a good point. Does does the Switch have gyro built in? Yes, I found that out because of Nintendo Labo. Ah. Because you have it detached, and it was definitely sensing gyro. Ah, uh, I always just assumed it was the the Joy Cons doing the lifting, but you're right. No. Me too. Uh, like it, it did the iPad thing when you like tilted it for um the fishing one because mm. it had to know which okay. way up it was. So and it and it did change on the fly. Okay, so yeah, if it's built in to the game, then I'm sure it'll work fine. Yeah, I'm I'm sure somebody out there's got like a list of games where it reads the console's gyro instead of the Joy-Con's gyro in this case, mm. if at all. Good point. <laughs> I, I retract my snide interruption. <laughs> there are some Monster Hunter branded ones coming out in a couple of months, as I uh, detailed, which is fitting because we all played Monster Hunter this weekend. Just being upfront with everyone, our notes on Monster Hunter are a complete mess, so we're just going to go through everything that is on our minds. And also, I think our notes reflect the nature of Monster Hunter's opening couple of hours. and that it's a bit of a mess to figure out what's useful and what's not uh monster hunter is a it's not really an rpg really but it's a a third person action game where uh you are in a village and you must go out and kill creatures to craft armor and weapons from them so you can go kill more creatures and then craft armor and weapons from them and then go kill more creatures uh and that's basically the gist of the the gameplay loop of any Monster Hunter game. So since Monster Hunter World, uh, and especially with Monster Hunter Rise, the developers and those at Capcom have been billing the last two games as the most accessible the series has ever been, which itself tells a story, uh, because I th- Monster Hunter Rise is still a, quite a lot to deal with and take in in those opening hours. Uh, do you both agree? I, th- I feel like once you get through the, the tutorials, it kind of starts letting you do things properly. And I'm a big kinesthetic learner, and it's been good for um, that part. It, like, the opening hours have been like the most I felt engaged with it, funnily enough, after it's like telling me, info-dumping mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it tells you a ton of things. 
but it doesn't actually have you do those things to check if you're absorbing the information that it's giving you, mm-hmm. which doesn't really do a good job of teaching you things. It's just throwing information at you, and then even then, it, it doesn't give you all the information that you need, like especially how to attack with your weapon. <laughs> yeah, there's no like great combat tutorial. Uh there is a training place, but there's no yeah, there's no decent combat thing. Yeah, this is my biggest gripe with the series. Uh, Gen Ultimate was like this as well. It gives you the info dump and if you've, you know, misread it or I'm finding the series actually describes things quite terribly on the whole and like everything has a pop-up window yeah (laughs) it's like you're doing this now here's a pop-up window that explains it and then you have to read it and And you don't have to read it you can yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then you have to confirm it when you close the window do you want to close this window yes i want to close the window (laughs) and then hopefully what the thing it just explained hopefully you understood what it just said because it's not actually going to have you go through the process of doing the thing it just explained so that way you can associate you know actions and results with the process it just moves on to the next thing i also have a big problem with games that also like have you start doing a thing teach you how to do a thing and then prevent you from doing the thing. you know where it just keeps stopping you constantly mm. it's like well cool you've taught me something let me let me do it which is you know basically what andrew's saying there that extra prompt between closing the tutorial window and asking, do you want to close the tutorial window? You might as well just reword that. Have you forgotten everything in that window already yet? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what that does. <laughs> Basically, Google and just trying things has been a better tutorial than uh, anything that's in this so far. I, I hate the modern internet. I hate finding information on games because it's all in videos now. There's nothing written down anymore. But yeah. YouTube has been the best resource for me for learning how to play Monster Hunter. <laughs> also useful, I found the IGN guide pretty decent if anyone's struggling with the opening game. Uh, they've they've got a, a couple of great articles for beginners and stuff the game doesn't tell you that should. Yeah, like like every weapon has its own mechanics, basically. So <laughs> you have to... You have to look up a tutorial for all 14 weapons, and that makes choosing which weapon you actually want to use quite the several hours long process, or either that you just pick one at random and just just stick with it <laughs> and just ignore everything else. Andrew, you had some uh, criticisms of the controls, which which I uh, I largely agree with and do sort of conflict with the idea of accessibility, but I do have a lot of things to praise the game for for quality of life improvements. Let's talk about the controls. Uh, what were your main <laughs> problems with this? Well, this goes back to World, well, Monster Hunter World, and also when we're using accessibility here, we're not talking about like access to disabled people or handicapped mm-hmm. people. We're, we're meaning like actual ease of understanding for general audiences. When I was reading about World, which I have not played, so this is half my fault that I'm feeling this way everybody was making it sound like it was this big evolution to the series on the on the level of like Resident Evil 3 to Resident Evil 4 and then I'm sitting here playing Rise which is supposed to have taken a lot of what happened in World and building on that and I'm like 
this feels almost identical to play as Generations Ultimate. So I, I don't know what they changed in World that was supposed to make things quote-unquote feel better to play, make it easier to understand quote-unquote. I, I have kind of come around to thinking that what everybody is saying when they like playing Monster Hunter now is you can play it on a console. <laughs> that seems to be what it comes down to versus, you know, having to cramp your hand onto a, a tiny handheld button and, you know, have you have the Monster Hunter claw method that you have to play where you can control the camera with one with your thumb and you move with the D-pad on the same hand, which is a thing that people actually did. <laughs> and then, like, and all the... The attack buttons are assigned X and A and also to ZR, uh, which is bizarre. And some weapons also use the B button, but not all weapons. And that that goes back to PSP design. That is still holding on to the series. So I, I just, I'm a little bewildered that this is the modernized, redesigned version of Monster Hunter that is still using the 10-year-old control method. I mean, I think if they challenged themselves, they could redesign things so that way they they function on a controller a little better and you don't have to hold down so many buttons at the same time to navigate through menus and all that. You know, mm-hmm. and they just they they haven't challenged themselves that way. They just they continue to make sequels. So that's a criticism, but it's not really a complaint that this just feels like a sequel more than a revolution, but if you play Generations Ultimate and you just hated it, I don't think this is going to change your mind, because this this just seems like the same thing with better graphics to me. Thing is, I hated Generations Ultimate, and I'm really loving this. Once I got past the, uh, you know, like the growing pains, large part of that is um, when I'm saying accessibility, not specifically the controls, but in the, the systems that they've added, which has made it friendlier to me. Obviously, with the controls, I haven't helped myself because I've been playing a lot of Souls-like, which all have the same button <laughs> layouts, and this being a, th- a 3D action game where you're fighting gigantic monsters, I keep automatically slipping into that habit, so I'm having to break my own programming there. There's a lot here in this one now that uh, just sort of speeds up the process and, and takes some of the burden off the player. Uh, obviously, the f- the first thing you create is your Palico, which is your little buddy, support buddy, uh, you create a Palamute, which is new for the series, which is a, a dog you can ride, um, who is part of what speeds everything up so much. When you're riding the Palamute, Palamute through the, the environments, you can do everything you can do on foot. You can mine ore, you can grab uh, herbs and stuff as you're you're riding through. You can kill things, although you'll do less damage can also like if, you, if you're fighting an enemy and they sorry a, a creature and they decide to to run part way through the fight you can give chase while sharpening your blade you can give chase while eating potions or taking stamina boosts and uh, and then you can get there quicker uh, to where they've gone uh, with everything intact without having to like slowly walk there a, a lot of the improvements uh, to the systems are stuff they've brought over from world so like infinite whetstones when you pick up herbs it automatically tra- makes them into potions you don't need to sit there and craft potions from them when you're out exploring in combat you can still move while using an item which is something you couldn't do in in gen ultimate so there's there's little stuff like that which is like subtle and if if you haven't played gen ultimate for a while you some people might even miss it 
there's a lot of little things like that that are just helping speed up the process for me. Uh, another thing is like the, you need less crafting items to make armor and swords. That that's nice. That definitely feels like a a thing that will help keep me engaged. All little things like that. Uh, and we haven't even got onto the the wire bug yet, which is a whole. It's one of those things that's really annoying at first and most people will ignore it for a while but once you get the hang of it it's super useful let's talk about the wire bug uh wire bugs are useful from a number of perspectives uh in that uh you can use them to uh, climb to higher heights you can uh launch yourself above enemies uh which has been my my use of it the most uh, and they also tie in with your uh, attacks as well, so you, you'll have special wire bug moves you can do with whatever class you're on. Combat's where I'm finding them most useful, especially if I uh, get knocked down, I can get myself back to my feet quicker and, and chug a potion and everything. How are you guys finding the, the wire bugs overall? Um, I'm finding I'm relying on the Palamute more to navigate, but the, the wire bug's been super useful for me in combat. Yeah, they're definitely a, a combat-heavy thing for me. Um, I typically play Hammer when I play these games. Mm -hmm. And being able to launch myself up onto the enemy and then do kind of, you know, your butt clam sort of thing mm -hmm. on enemies, especially, I can't remember the name of the monster, but he basically has giant rocks on his back. And that's a weak point if you're a Hammer user, so... No more using the terrain, looking for that tiny little bit of a, a lip on a ledge, and then <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> yeah, now you just do it whenever you feel like. Uh, I only ever use the manual aiming one though. I know mm -hmm. you two have been using like the X and A wire bug combos. I just, I don't know. I'm always pointing at where I want to go. Yeah, there was a large portion of the early game where I was like not using it at all. Yeah, you know, just because whenever I tried to use it, it would be a fail. So I'd just be like, "Uh, oh, what's the point?" But then I went to the uh, training area in the village and sort of just, you know, got come to terms with hand handling with it and how to move using it. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back since. Andrew, how are you? How are you finding it? Uh, I think are you rocking the same class as me at the moment? The same weapon? Are you doing longsword? Yeah, it, it shoved a longsword. Like the game shoves a longsword in your hand as like the first weapon and i just i just haven't taken it off yet so mm -hmm. yeah I, I guess i'm just using the long sword for right now maybe i'll switch to another weapon and go back to the first couple of fights to learn how to use another weapon later on but i'm having a good time with the long sword but as for the wire bug i just uh i'm not particularly interested in using it to get around <laughs> like just getting around itself especially on foot it doesn't always feel good like there's all these cliffs that have been built in between each numbered region now that you can climb around on top of but they don't really feel like places i'm actually supposed to be at they just feel like the tops of cliffs that you're able to get up to if you try hard enough so i, I would rather just get on the the palamute and just run around than to climb up over the top of it and i have recently uh during a a resource gathering quest i have learned how to use the wire bug using the manual aiming one mm -hmm. mode on it to actually kind of get around but it, it took way too much effort for me to learn how to do that and 
it's not like you know breath of the wild where when you want to climb a cliff you just go to the cliff and you climb it like this required way too much effort and way too much thought and way too much learning for me to do to figure out how to get to the top of a cliff which you know maybe that's something you could say about monster hunter in general is there's no clear way to do anything everything has a learning process to it mm-hmm. which is why which is why if you stick with it you learn to love it and if and everybody else is driven away very early on i don't see that changing uh the wire bug i find very useful for using in combat uh the long sword has a a cool counter ability which takes all of your wire bug charges and they take i don't know like 30 seconds to come back but Mm -hmm. it's a pretty powerful and useful counter ability i've gotten a lot of use out of it and that's mostly what i'm using my wire bug charges for other than that, unless a quest is like making me go up a cliff, I just don't bother because the climbing and the movement around on the cliff tops, it just it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good, it doesn't even feel like I'm supposed to be up there, so I just I just don't bother. So I was climbing some cliffs just, you know, to try and figure out how the mechanics worked and on a couple of them I did find some good ore resources, particularly on that first map. So it, it is something to keep in mind. Uh, which environments are you guys up to? I've got the frost one and just the first one. I've, I I want to go to the sandy one because there's a, an ore that I need for the armor set that I'm rocking so I can complete it. Uh, but I want to do a bunch of other things first. So. <laughs> okay. I'm still in the first two areas too. Yeah. Um, that feeling of sort of the verticality. It's almost like two maps overlaid on each other in certain areas. It's interesting because I thought the same as Andrew, where it was just you climb to the top of a cliff and it's just like a tiny few resources, but then the maps start having those sub areas up there and they're kind of connected through those cliffs and the like. You kind of mm. see it at the top right of the map, of the first map with the um with the nest. It's kind of like that, but more. It's hard to explain. Hmm. Because I don't have to climb to reach that nest. I can just ride my my palamute straight up to it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like that that sort of layered thing where you can climb up or you can mm. just go straight up in yeah. the palamute. But it's like an entire like half of the map is like that. Well, that's good because like with how small the upper cliff areas are in the first couple areas, and like in jumping is basically not possible like it's not like dark souls possible it's like you cannot jump when you want to (laughs) so it just it doesn't feel natural to be up in those areas right now no um that i'm just saying that the map design does a better job of it but not at the start of the game which i find Mm. odd yeah they should be teaching you how to do these things like right away not hey monster hunter again <laughs> you gotta <laughs> stick with it and learn how to do it yeah, uh, yeah that that that's a, a theme with the series isn't it it's just like um like people love it because they stick with it they like they love it in spite of it yeah but you know i stuck with generations ultimate for like 30 hours and then i just i finally hit a monster that had this shell that whatever i did every attack bounced off it that was where i just i just quit because <laughs> i didn't know what to do about that uh, I have read on this one it is actually useful to switch up your weapon as well, depending on the enemy. Uh, so that that's a thing to, to consider. Never! <laughs> I'm a polite. 
But you can go back to the tent now. The, I think they added this in World. There, there is a tent in every map now that you can go into, and you can you can change up your mm-hmm. weapon layout and your equipment just in the tent. You don't have to do it from the village hub, which was yeah. the only way you could do it in Generations Ultimate. So I'm uh, I'm actually probably gonna you know upgrade a couple of like projectile weapons, you know, either a gun or a bow or whatever. Just just on the off chance I'll need them. The point. guns, especially the light bow gun, does seem to be much better for the smaller monsters. Mm-hmm. Like, n- not the big target ones, but like the little ones that just roam around the map and get in the way when other yep. things are happening. <laughs> but sometimes you do need to kill those for quests, and sometimes you just need like a little part to build some armor or a weapon from those things. The mm-hmm. light bow gun seems to be best for fighting those because it's much easier to hit them when you can aim. Um, just going back to the wire bug, there is another use that I, I forgot to mention. Um, so you can collect great wire bugs while exploring. Uh, and then if you find the lilies that they like to live in, you can place them there, which is like a permanent shortcut in the map. Um, and if you find all of them, you can pretty much get across the entire map in, in seconds. I found quite a few in the in the first two maps, and they've been pretty useful just to to bound across to the other side to my target if I've needed to. So let's talk about the environments themselves. So in in Generations Ultimate, uh, every map was basically made up of like glorified rooms with loading transitions between them. So you would go into an area and then when you move to the next part of that map, it would have to have a loading screen, which was pretty jarring and annoying but you know i get why it happened uh my understanding of world is that it was just a big open world tori have you played it is that right yeah i played a fair bit of world it's just like rise sort of okay so you get the separate worlds but with no loading transitions no loading transitions but it's like rise feels a bit more open between those sub areas like they're still numbered on the map Mm-hmm. world felt quite narrow still okay the no loading makes everything more engaging for me like it feels more natural uh, as part of the gameplay just generally speaking while talking of loading the game loads astonishingly fast in most of its areas uh like the village transitions between you know rooms which is the only place you get that transition is is quick all the levels load quickly despite their sizes uh, and everything that's going on in them been really impressed with that uh let's let's talk about how the game actually you know how the rhythm works then so as i said you know you hang around in the village you can do a bunch of things but this is where you get like your missions so there are two sets of mission types there are village missions which is is the single player campaign and then you get hub missions which you can solo but they are also multiplayer focused as well so they'll, they'll be that little bit more difficult if you want to have a go at them on your own uh, i have mainly been sticking to the the village single player missions I've, I've done one or two of the hub ones just to sort of spread out my attention yeah andrew i think you've been most mostly in the village ones as well yeah i'm gonna stick with those as long as i can and mm-hmm. you know if i have to do a hub mission later on fine but i <laughs> seems kind of weird that they would make you do a hub mission that's scaled up for multiple players to progress in the story on a platform that doesn't always have internet access. Uh, that that seems 
wrong to me. So <laughs> I hope that that doesn't that situation doesn't arise. But uh, I will come back around and maybe do some of the. I, I say that a lot, but I, and I usually don't. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think it's fair to play multiplayer and re- or play Monster Hunter and come out the other side of it without having played the multiplayer because I think you're missing a pretty big part of the game if you do that. Uh, and Tori, you've actually played some of the multiplayer, right? A little bit, um, maybe five or six missions total. Uh, and how's that working? Flawlessly. Um, I was really surprised. A Nintendo console multiplayer online experience from Capcom has been flawless, and I, I don't know what's happened. <laughs> the requests themselves, they, they come in like a bunch of different difficulty levels, so you get one-star ones, two-star ones, three-star ones, and you know they all increase in difficulty the more you do. Uh, to move on to the next level, you need to do like a, a certain number amount of key quests, uh, which are clearly marked these t- this time round. I don't think they were in in Gen Ultimate. I feel like that was a uh, not communicated very well, if at all. They give you like one one aim in each of these main missions. Uh, you'll either go out to kill kill one of the monsters, or you'll have to go on a, a collectathon or kill X amount of uh, small monsters. The, the thing I'm finding with this is that in the early game, particularly this one, is much better about letting you go fight things compared to collecting stuff. In, in Gen Ultimate, the early stuff felt really weighted towards, you know, collecting mushrooms and things like that. And it's just like, it's a game called Monster Hunter. I want to hunt monsters. I don't want to hunt mushrooms. Uh, so this, this feels a bit better about letting you get to actually fight things. Uh, did anyone else feel like that? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of those collection things for the most part be moved to the optional quests the optional quests are things that you can do while you're doing any mission and even them some of them are about killing killing the enemies but they'll, they'll give you like a extra currency so there's two currencies in this game that are oh, i can't remember the name zenny zenny's <laughs> yeah there is it zenny's zenny no no i was thinking of the because uh, there's money and there's the current army oh, points. points yeah camera camera points that's it most of those seem to be for camera points yeah but i'm actually finding that they're the like my main source of armor spheres mm-hmm. yeah that's true so i'm always trying to do them for the armor spheres yeah um, and you can carry up to five optional quests with you at any one time I really like the casual approach to this and and that you can you can do them whatever you're doing rather than having to uh you know do a mission specifically just to go collect uh 10 honeys or whatever uh which sounds like a very different not for safe not safe for work game but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that I I quite enjoy the mission structure but uh, Andrew made a good point on the show notes about why is everything a mission <laughs> do you want to expand on that Andrew well, this goes back to something I even felt in Generations Ultimate, which is my first Monster Hunter game, was, like, if I need parts for a specific, you know, spe- weapon or armor, if I need parts from a certain monster, I have to go through all my missions and find a mission where that monster is part of the mission. It was like, why can't I just go and talk to a, a certain NPC and just 
basically be like just like a custom game mode where i just pick a monster i want to fight and like hell even the map i want to fight it on and then i can just get set off to do that and get the parts that way Mm -hmm. i just i don't understand why i have to scroll back through all the missions i've already done to find one that has the monster in it i need and like dauntless lets you do this (laughs) so like i just uh dauntless just feels way ahead of monster hunter here so I feel like it's tied to the way that the lobbies work for multiplayer. That's the the best I can think of. <laughs> I, I guess, like, yeah, I just don't. Not everything needs to be a mission. That just feels like, um, yeah, totally something that should have been part of the the refresh of the series that is still not here. Which is why when I see this game, I just think this is still just Generations Ultimate with better <laughs> graphics. Uh, I, I certainly agree with you in terms of like there should just be a free room option just to go out into the world and do whatever you want. Well, there's the expedition well, quest. Yeah. But, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask about those because I haven't done any of those yet. Uh, that's basically just free room. But okay. you don't... <laughs> I haven't done one yet, so I don't know if the large monsters roam in those. If there, I don't know either, but if there are, I'm sure you can't pick which one you want. And... Yeah. Uh, if you replay a mission... Because the mission always features a specific large monster, and then it sometimes has one or two additional large monsters unrelated to your quest. Are those always the same? I think so. I want to say yes. <laughs> they're, they're listed on the mission card. Okay. Because I was thinking to expand on your idea of like just picking which monster you want to hunt. If you could say, I also want to hunt these, or randomize, or something like that, just to add a bit of variety. Mm-hmm. Because the whole yeah, wyvern I mean, riding thing is really fun. Just a custom game or a custom match mode for this would be welcome, especially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, with the, as, I mean, the series has had the same design for its missions for at least five years, probably longer. You know, it seems like something that could be added, but at the same time, we can't just armchair game dev here like we're not the ones <laughs> making this game and this is the game they made mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah i'm, I'm finding because i've i've just hit this obsession with having all the armor sets so i've i've just been <laughs> playing a bunch of the missions just so i can get the thing i want so even if they're not as powerful and i'm not using it i still want to have it of course you can upgrade those with the uh armor spheres that latoria mentioned earlier there is an upper limit to those upgrades as well yeah yeah true in the village you'll find characters may have side missions for you which are basically re- requests the village elder fujin who the first one he wants a well done steak like with a lot of other things the game doesn't really tell you how a couple of options for that i cooked mine out in the field on the spit it took me a while to figure out how to actually stop it and have the thing register in my inventory or you can uh, do it at the canteen which is a good thing we should talk about as well, the canteens, where they will basically cook all your ingredients for you at a at a cost. Um, and that way you'll have it exactly as you want it every time rather than having to do the, uh, the mini game, which is what I was doing. Part of your preparation for a mission actually is uh, stopping by the, the restaurant or the canteen. Uh, there's two in the village that I found and have a good meal. When you order a meal... You get to choose like a dumpling uh, with different uh, effects on it uh, and you can tailor that towards, you know, whatever you're fighting at that time. That sort of stuff will come in with uh, monsters that I haven't quite 
got to yet where that's that's way more important. Honestly, if you skip the cutscene they give you when you order food, then you're a monster. <laughs> I've always loved the cutscenes. Even the cooking cutscene in, in Generations Ultimate was delightful, <laughs> and I always watched it. <laughs> the cooking and the eating. I will watch this every single time. I promise you that. <laughs> and, and it's not even that long, which helps. Nah. You It's cute as hell. Other things around the village. There's a, a buddy area where you can hire more little buddies to help you. Uh, so you can swap them in and out for missions. Um, you can also send them away in submarines to go farm some of the smaller but really useful materials for you. So at the moment I've got a calico off-searching for honey constantly so I can turn it into mega potions. Uh, that's pretty neat. That, that saves you a bunch of uh, hassle of trying to collect a certain thing all the time if you want to be focusing on other things also some of the items they can bring back at random will open up new gear for you uh, and there's some unique stuff tied to that uh, i've had one new armor set that i didn't have before just from engaging with that so that's pretty fun okay so the, the only thing left really to talk about is the performance and how it runs on switch uh, particularly the graphics I don't feel either of you will agree with me here, but I think this might be the best looking game on the console. I think I will agree with you. I think it depends upon what you're focusing on. Purely like fidelity rather than uh, design, I would say. Although the design is, is bloody lovely. I think it's, it's it goes really far in the photorealistic detail and then it covers up a lot of its shortcomings with the art direction. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of Nintendo games just cover everything with Art Direction, whereas this is kind of 50-50. Uh, yep. I think the character models are really good. I think the textures are really good. I think the art design is really good. And then everything has this really low-resolution shadow yeah. cast over mm -hmm. it, which steps on everything else that it does so well because like you, you you can't not see these shadows because they're everywhere and they're super pixelated and they just they don't look good it's that weird cross hatching thing yeah which was a, a thing that that was like a a tactic they used even back on like ps1 era games where they they <laughs> yeah. started using like a cross hatching graphical style which would uh allow them to have nicer looking polys and all that like that first part where you step out of you step out of the the opening building and you walk into the village I, I my jaw drops like i felt that would look just as good as any, on any other platform uh, i imagine they'll uh fix the shadow thing if we get a, a switch pro this year and you know eventually on its pc release that'll definitely have uh some nicer looking visual options for that sort of stuff the villager animations in particular are amazing tori you had problems with the facial animations i was fine with them mostly <laughs> It's it's this weird thing that they do with animation sometimes where the entire body will complete the animation and then stop, but the face keeps going, and it just feels <laughs> like ever so slightly like an animatronic. This is me being nitpicky, though, but specifically the chef when she's done cooking, the dungo. Yeah. 
This is something <laughs> about face that. is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's the teeth. I think teeth, s- teeth, teeth. Yeah. Um, again, that's nitpicking, though. It, it does not kill the game for me. I, I actually can't cool. get over how good the faces look in this. When I saw it on a pre-release video, I, I was quite surprised by uh, how smooth and realistic it looked. Yeah, like not not even just from a Switch perspective, like in a video game mm-hmm. perspective, they've outdone themselves. Yeah, I, I feel like th- if this was on PS4, people would be well happy with it. Mm. Even out in the field, though, like the, the giant bunny thing you have to fight, like the fur on that looks amazing. Yeah, I don't know how they do but, the fur so well. They've, they've figured something the, out. They've made a deal with the devil somewhere. Because <laughs> this is the uh, RE engine. That I believe yeah. they made for seven, RE seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, RE seven and Resident Evil eight is going to use it. And I think the two and three remakes use it. Yes, yes, they do. So <laughs> even the hair in this looks way better than it does in RE seven on like a high end yep. PC that I played it on. And then I I don't know. They've, they've... I played Resident Evil seven. I don't remember anybody having hair except for Killer Girlfriend. <laughs> that that's the example that's coming to mind. <laughs> but like, if if this giant open world RE engine game can run on this, I I don't think really makes you wonder what else is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, one thing that I did want to touch on was the demo felt blurrier than the release. Something to do with the resolution. Am I alone on that, or? Uh, can't remember, but like, it's not uncommon for them to, you know, pack in lower quality textures to keep a demo size down. Not the textures, just like the actual. Like I, I played docked on the screen, and it felt quite blurry, and I went, "Well, it's a Switch game. I was expecting it." And then the full release, mm-hmm. I'm like, "This actually looks fairly crisp." The only thing I remember about the demo is the shadows, which were just as disappointing then, too. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Probably so, if that's how you're feeling, but I just, I don't remember. It's a vague feeling. I'm just wondering if I'm alone on that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to boot it up. Um, (laughs) At me on Twitter if you agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's about everything in our our thoughts so far, but we'll, we'll do a little summary, so... This is a series that I've been trying to get on board with since the PSP. I've tried a bunch of entries and never stuck with it and never clicked with it. I've always loved the core concept behind it, but the reality had never stuck with me. I felt with Generations Ultimate that that might be one that got me over it. I didn't even bother with World just because of my history with the series, which was probably a mistake given how everyone feels about that one. Uh, and you know, I even said like on on this very podcast uh, with Generations Ultimate, if if I if that didn't click, then I would no longer give the series the time of day. Then the uh, initial showcase of it launched, and I was like, okay, I think maybe I'll, maybe I'll give this one a go. This is a long winded way way of me saying I'm enjoying this one a lot more at this stage than I have any of my previous attempts at playing Monster Hunter. So I'm hoping that's a good sign because I. I've been playing it solidly now for two and a half days, and it's all I'm thinking about, which is, that's a thing that's never happened with uh, <laughs> an entry in this series before. So I'm I'm very 
positive that I'm going to continue enjoying this one. Yeah, Tori, what about you? I actually, now that I think about it, I'm quite similar to you. I've been trying to get into this since the PSP era. I had a friend who thought I'd like it and I didn't at first. <laughs> um, then I tried it with Try and it just, it wasn't clicking yet. World was when it finally clicked for me, when I finally understood the gameplay loop. Mm-hmm. But my friend still had to walk me through that. I think Rise is the first time I'm actually going to finally finish one of these games, though. Because <laughs> uh, I, I still fell off World Endgame. I think it was like a Blue Rathian or Blue Rathalos, whatever it was. I just couldn't kill it. And I gave up and I never touched it again. <laughs> But I feel like this, especially with the Switch, where it's got like a pretty lively community, like there's a lot more Switch players that I know of than PS4. I don't know how to describe it. Like when there's a new Switch release, it seems like there's a lot of Switch owners that pick it up because it's a Switch release. So it feels like there's more people playing it and I can reach out and say, hey, let's hunt some monsters. I didn't have that with World. It was just like a small group of friends. I don't know if it's just like a weird phenomenon that I've just discovered now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 like 14 hours into this already, and I got it a day after everybody else because that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, and Hunter, I've also been trying to get into Monster Hunter for a long time. So I started getting interested in 2014, 2015, and I just I couldn't find a good entry point for me. And finally, Generations Ultimate was the first one I played. And I was not as intensely negative about Generations Ultimate as Andy was, but I I still just bounced off it after 30, 50 hours. I don't remember exactly. Uh, Because as I mentioned, I got to this giant crab monster in the desert level that I could not hurt no matter what I did. And I just just gave up out of despair, which I, I could easily look up online what I was supposed to do to actually hurt that thing, but I just, I refused to. So uh, (laughs) that was partially me (laughs) causing that uh, feeling of hopelessness. The very same thing could very well happen here in Rise, but hopefully it doesn't. You know, this is a new release and people are actually excited about this one. I think the Generations Ultimate, when that launched on Switch, there's a a bit of eye rolling at at the price and the fact that it was a 3DS port instead of a new Monster Mm -hmm. Hunter game. So I I think there's a bit more of a community for this one. There's a lot more excitement. Like I'm I'm already seeing people talking about Rise and, you know, playing in multiplayer groups. I did not see a single person except for our little host group talking about Generations Ultimate when it launched. Mm. So uh, I think it'll be a little easier to stick with Rise if I run into a trouble spot like that. When I say that I, I really only see this as, you know, a sequel to Generations Ultimate instead of, you know, like a whole revolution of what Monster Hunter is, that that's not really a complaint. It's just how I see the game because I liked Generations Ultimate just fine. And <laughs> down for this one too i hope this is the one where i finally get hooked and it, it certainly feels that way so far yeah general general i wouldn't say i was negative on it i just didn't enjoy the things that they've fixed in this one do you know what i mean they, they put me off playing it whereas some of that's eradicated so that that just makes it easier for me 
I have to say I, I don't know what you mean because <laughs> it feels the same like the same stuff to me. Uh, I'm uh, it's mainly the the minor mechanics though. Uh, so that's it. That's uh, Monster Hunter Rise. We will keep everyone updated on our progress with that on our journeys to you know falling in love with the the series. That's it for episode one forty seven. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Tori, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, Monster Hunter Rise. <laughs> Don't know if you've heard of it. Other than that, Resident Evil Revelations, I'll be making some headway through. So hopefully I'll be able to talk about that next week. Nice. And Andrew? I got a puzzle, like, factory building game called Atoma Chef, where you build like conveyor belt machines to cook things in specific times and quantities. Uh, I'm going to be playing that. Cool. Uh, and I'm going to be playing a game called Takeshi and Hiroshi, which was uh, on one of the Nindies directs. Uh, it's meant to be a very, very short um, take on an RPG. Oh, yeah. Uh, I look forward to trying that. Got out on a sale. forgot about that one. So that's it for episode 147. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. Uh, that's a PlayStation show and an Xbox show, respectively. We're all part of the Game Podular network. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all these things are in our show notes. If you'd like to support the network, and by extension our show, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this show is edited by Andrew. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at PlayCritically. Uh, you can also read his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Flame Rose Toast, and Tori is at Stew Two. That's S T W T W O.